I'm happy to have you on the podcast again. Thank you very much for the second invitation. Can you introduce yourself to the audience? My name is Sako Zoltan. I'm a full stack developer now. I'm also working on some AI related projects. I'm using mainly Python for for this. That's great. And you have two years of experience working with AI, right? Yes, that is my experience with with AI. Now let's talk a bit about neural networks. I'm going to describe it quickly. So a neural network it can be grouped in three layers. These layers have input layers, hidden layers, and output yes. layers. As you know, the input layer will receive the input data and pass it to a hidden layer, and then that hidden layer will perform some mathematical computations on input. Then the output layer return an output data, which is a prediction. Exactly, it's a prediction. It's a classification. Yes, it depends on on the problem you want to solve. And the challenge in creating such a neural network is always deciding the number of hidden layers and the number of neurons for each layers, right? Yes, this is this is a big cha- challenge because it affects the results of your of your model, the accuracy, precision, recall, and things like that. Yes, uh, it's a challenge, but Google created a new deep neural network. AutoML or NASNet, that is the name of the, the this uh, network, which basically tries to automatically uh, set up neural network architecture based on your your data set. This is a really useful deep learning neural network architecture. It's called NASNet, N-A-S-H dot N-E-T, right? Yes. That's interesting. So it will create the neural network based on the data which you provide to Google. The accuracy of this this neural network is is already higher than handmade neural network, so it it's it has better uh, results than any other state of art neural networks. So it's it's working really really well because it's 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 trying to create automatically an architecture. The training the training time will be longer, but if you if you need high precision accuracy and things like that, then It, it is recommended to use NASNet. And as you said, there are various types of neural networks. Some are simple, such as a perceptron, which are just input cells and output cells. There are some that are complex, such as a deep convolutional network, which has input cells, kernel, pool, hidden cells, and even an yes. output cell. Yes, yes. The the convolutional neural network is it is much complicated than a simple neural network, but it has multiple operations, as I said, convolution, pooling, and things like that. But even in in convolutional neural networks, there are different architectures in convolutional neural networks because you can you can use simple neural networks like VGG, which is not it, it isn't that that deep. But there are very deep neural networks like GoogleNet and ResNet and things like that. So even in in this domain, the CNN convolutional neural network, there there are lots of different architectures which are more or less complex. To describe also what a CNN is, a convolutional neural network, its main use is for computer vision. It is to allow the computer to see objects and to describe what are in those objects, right? Convolutional neural networks are, are used for 
object detection, so mainly image processing stuff, object det- detection, recognition, image segmentation, but also this this kind of neural networks can be used for recommendation systems or sentiment anal- analysis, not not just for image processing but yes uh, its main uh, use case is uh, image processing because convolutional neural networks has the best results in object detection so yeah it's ma- mainly used for for this one and every comp- company who are researching or trying to create self-driving cars they are also uh, using convolutional neural networks and there are a lot of research ongoing research in this area that's interesting. Now, coming to the architecture of a CNN, here it can be broken even in three layers, which is the width, the height, and the depth of the image. And then the final output is reduced to a single vector, which is for the probability score. Yeah, exactly, because as an output, you want to, to know the object which was detect, detected the class of the object which was detected. So if, if it's a car, it's a person, it's a cat, it's a dog. Yeah, and this is why on the last layer you, you have a, a list of probabilities. What, what is the probability that the object from the image is a car or is a person? Yes, but there are other important operations. So convolution neural networks are using convolutions to create feature maps. Feature maps are just important attributes of from the um, image. For example, um, colors or um, edges or shapes and things like that. And com- convolution is it's an op- operation which helps us to extract these important features from the image and create a list of feature maps. So yes, this is the depth. The depth is it's important because. If you have many feature maps, then you can you can uh, have um, better accuracy, better precision, and things like that. And after the convolution, there there is another important operation, the pooling or subsampling um, operation, because this operation helps us to create spatial invariance. So even if the object is rotated or in, in the picture, the object is rotated or um, scaled the network will recognize as as an object. Now, just to give an example of a convolution, we can have a zebra and the hidden layer will recognize its stripes, its two ears and four legs would be divided into 20 by 20 pixels. And then when the convolution is done, all the information set will be merged to form a better prediction. That's why the more features you have, the better the prediction could be. Yeah, exactly. As the neural network gets deeper and deeper, the model can understand abstract concepts. In the first layer, we have only pixels. Then in the second layer, we, from the pixels, the model understands the edges and understands the colors. And after that, as, as you said, if you have multiple layers, then the, the model will start to learn uh, more abstract attributes like as you said, four legs and the shape of the zebra and it is important how deep is your your neural network. Now, we also have deep learning. We were going to talk about that. I'm just going to quickly state some users of deep learning. So deep learning is used for colorizing black and white images, adding sound to silent movies, automatic translation, object classification, image caption generation. 
As we know, deep learning is a rebranding of multi-layer neural networks. Yes, the, dif the difference is, is you have many hidden layers. That, that is why it's deep. As you have more hidden layers, the model will understand more abstract uh, features. This is why it's important how deep is the network. And now, because we have computational power, we can train extremely deep uh, neural networks. In the past, that is, that is why the neural network wasn't so popular, because even, even now with the supercomputer, if you want to train a deep learning, a deep learning um, architecture, for example, if you want to train the ResNet for ImageNet, ImageNet it, it's a database of thousands of pictures, which is used for object detection mainly, classification. If you want to train a, a network from scratch uh, without transfer learning, with the most powerful supercomputer, it will take three three weeks, which is which is a lot. This is why now now we have the computing power and deep uh, learning is uh, more popular. And I think as the hardware will will be much faster, as as it it gets faster, we will we will have better and better uh, machine learning uh, models this is this is the future of this is this is the future of the it related industries i agree as you said it is depending on the computing power and as yeah. we know deep learning is also dependent on gpu on graphic card performance there are options now we have options to either buy HPU or rent it from the cloud. Companies like AWS, Amazon, which have been providing such services at 65 cents per hour. And we also have uh, options like uh, Nimblebox.ai, which provides uh, such services. So Yes, 60, 65 cents uh, per hour per training, so only for training. Then for the classification and the prediction, you have another pricing. So like 50 cents per 1,000 of classifications. So this is what you said. It's the cost for training your, your data per hour. Yes, we, we have a lot of, lots of services. Amazon has this machine learning service, but also Microsoft. And so the, in Azure, you can find machine learning services or IBM, the, so IBM Watson. There are other, a lot of cool services and on each platform you, you can have a free account. And if you want to learn to create models and to play around with, with AI, then you can use these services. You can create a free account and just play with it. Yeah, so it is more accessible now, and that's why we are seeing so many applications of deep learning. Exactly, and then uh, we have lots of cool libraries that that helps us to easily create models. Because if you, if we are using Keras or TensorFlow, then we can just import those um, state-of-art neural networks with already trained uh, weights. We just may use so with transport learning and fine-tuning just tune it for your for your objects for your classes and uh, it, it will work and it, it will give you really high accuracy so this is why it's so easy nowadays because big companies like Google Facebook Microsoft are investing a lot of lot of money in this area so 
there are a lot of free libraries that we can use and you, you can create a really go, good uh, model for your business problem. Absolutely. And you said that big companies like Microsoft, Google and Facebook are investing into it. We have uh, Google with YouTube, which invested a lot in deep convolutional neural networks. It is being yes. used for the YouTuber commander. It is great for classifying their videos. They are using the user's gender, age and geography to provide a recommendation for the videos. Right. As you know, they are using knowledge graphs. This is being used to generate their vocabulary for the video listings. Uh -huh. And before that, they were referring to Wikidata, which is an open source knowledge graph repository. One can get a list of data from there for training their own uh, neural network. For example, let's say if I go to the Wikidata of YouTube, I would get a structured output in triplets. It would be the entity, Google, property, YouTube, and value, YouTube.com. And this can be gained using REST requests. So YouTube is, YouTube is using, uh, YouTube has a really good rec recommendation system. But there can be a problem in, in each recommendation system, which, which is the cold start problem. At the beginning, you don't have data about the user. It will recommend you generic stuff. But yeah, using knowledge graphs and um, uh, if you if you have a lot lot of data about the users, then you can, for example, if you you have a new user, then you ask the gender of the user, age references date of birth and things like that and then you can you can just firstly classify the user you have lots of classes for users and then recommend a video a, a content from that class of users and this is how you can recommend really good content even if the user is new in your application and mainly if you if youtube is using uh, knowledge graphs and wiki wiki to have uh, the vocabulary and uh, information about all kind of movies and they they can have a really good recommendation system as for example amazon amazon created a really good recommendation system and everybody is talking about <laughs> this kind of recommendation systems and also Spotify and other other big companies are uh, are using deep neural networks for this kind of um, recommendation. I can't yeah. think about many sites who doesn't have that. There are many e-commerce websites which have their own <laughs> recommendation systems. Because this is this is the easiest use case for the machine learning algorithm because. You are just recommending something for the user. If you if you have a, a miss recommendation, and if if the recommendation is, it's not correct for that user, it's not a big problem. A real challenge is um, using AI machine learning algorithms in in factories, for example, because if there are some problems, then it can have consequences so we as AI developers we should we should um, think about use cases using some uh, machine learning algorithms in industries for predictive maintenance for example or using in in the medical uh, field for predictive maintenance for humans so to predict if in the future there there will be some health problems if you if you continue with this lifestyle or 
now we, sh- we should uh, we should focus also on the industry and to have something uh, physically tangible. Yeah. We have TensorFlow.js. TensorFlow.js is allowing TensorFlow algorithms to run on the browser. It is not a exact replica of TensorFlow, but it is a version of it which runs on the browser. So for machine learning to train, to it, it's recommended to use a GPU. And how does this TensorFlow.js is it using some things like WebGL and things like that, or it is GPU accelerated? Now, also one interesting thing is about about TensorFlow is that it is using the GPU of the client, so it is not anything uh-huh. on the server side. I mean, if you have a good GPU on your computer, then it would run better on your computer, and it could happen yeah. that uh-huh. it runs slower on another computer which has a older GPU. Okay, so so it's using it's using the GPU, uh, the G- GPU of the client. Okay, but there are some advantages of using TensorFlow.js. One is that you can have real time operations of algorithm. For example, it can use your webcam and and do some processing with the data which it get in real time, similar to what we have with Snapchat. I think I never I never used um, TensorFlow.js. I I have some experience with with TensorFlow in Python. It's an interesting idea to have a yeah, machine learning browser. It's open to a new market, I think, mm-hmm. because yes. now the people who are not really familiar with Python, they are more on the JavaScript mm-hmm. side, can also benefit from TensorFlow with that. And it has a lot of the same features. For example, it, you can change the number of neurons, the number of activation functions, and data set in the browser. And at the same time, you can also benefit from some uh, other features, such as the sensor, which is on your screen. Smartphone. You can use the GPS, the microphone, the accelerometer, even the gyroscope and the camera for uh-huh. creating new data models. Yes, uh, and uh, and it, it's uh, divided in low level and high level APIs or API, or it's it's just high level. So I mean, in in TensorFlow in Python, you can you can work um, low level with tensors with data graphs and things like that and then high level you can import all um, already created um, and trained neural, neural networks and you can use those for classification or your for your business problem Tens- tensorflow gs has also these these functionalities or or is, is you have to build your your model from scratch you can import a pre-trained model uh, for example, uh-huh. MobileNet and even NashNet. Or if you already have your model created in Python, you can import that one to, to your TensorFlow.js. So that's where you benefit from knowing Python and TensorFlow.js as well. If you know both sides, nice. you can you can use both together. Yes, it's it's really nice. So so if I work if I'm working in in Python, I I'm just. I just have to have to save my my model, and then I can import it in in TensorFlow JS and use on the client side. For example, you can you can um, train your models in the backend, so where you have a lot of computational power and things like that. And after that, uh, when you when you have a good model, then you you can save those weights and save the model in in a file, and then 
sent to your to your mobile phone, let's say, and have the same the same precision and accuracy as on the on the server side. For example, if you are using a cloud service, then every time when you you want to, to classify something or uh, or uh, to get a prediction from the from the model, you will pay for that service. So you you will have to pay for each request, a little money. So not, it's not a big deal but if you if you have lots of users then uh, you will you will have big costs but if you if you only train your model in those cloud services and then just uh, download these models and use locally on your mobile phone you don't have to to request to send requests to the, to the server side and you can you can have a cheaper um, application, a cheaper product. I think that's what uh, Snapchat and other mobile applications are trying to do. To have a lot of the algorithms run directly from your mobile phone and now because we have such good mobile phones such as iPhone with a new AI chip, I think it's having an AI, a specialized AI chip for uh-huh. such processing. Yes, because nowadays uh, the mobile phones has really, really high processing power, and there's a little difference between between my mobile phone and my my laptop. So, yeah, we can use, we can use the processing power of, of mobile phone for for deep learning. Yeah, it's it's really cool. We have other options such as transfer learning. This is really good if you want to save some time and perhaps some money as well because you can take you can take knowledge which has uh, been in for example from another model and transfer it to to your neural network is that right yeah exactly i i i was using this uh, this kind of transform transform learning that you are describing yes it, it's it's really cool because when when you start a, when you start a project you don't have so much images so much labeled data to train the model from scratch and then you can you can use pre-trained model for example you you will use nasnet pre-trained using um, imagenet um, data set the imagenet data set which which has thousands of uh, of uh, images so it's a it's a generic uh, object detection and object classification it's a, it's a data set for for, gene- for general de- uh, object detection and um, you can fine tune your your model for for your problem so you can take down the last the last neurons or the or the full the full connected layer which is which is used for uh, classification you can remove that fully connected layer uh, from your from the pre-trained model and then train the fully connected layer on your images and use this fully connected layer trained your uh, on your data set with the pre-trained model and it will give you a really good um, so it, it will it will give you state of art accuracy and, and precision this is the technique of transfer learning so you you can download a pre-trained model remove the last part the fully connected layer and maybe some other hidden layers from from the end of the neural network and 
then use your images to to train to find and then fine tune the model for your business problem yeah it's it's really helpful because you don't have to train your your model i don't know weeks because there are lots of images and lots of objects but you will have you will train it in in a day let's say for your business problem and this will be really fast that's great. I believe that TensorFlow allows for such features such as, such as transfer learning. Now we were yes. also going to talk about ML.net, which is machinelearning.net, which is a new open source uh, library for machine learning from Microsoft. Uh-huh. And then the, what, what, is, what is used for, for uh, machine learning, for, for the backend? Is it using CNTK? Because... because Microsoft has this uh, CNTK backend for machine learning and deep learning, and this can be used also in Keras, for example. Instead of using a TensorFlow backend, you can use the Microsoft CNTK backend, and and it, it's working. So we can be called an extensible framework because it has support from mm-hmm. for CNTK, Accord.net as well, and then of course mm-hmm. we call it the Microsoft Cognitive Toolkit. And finally, yeah, exactly. even it even supports TensorFlow, so it is very extensible <laughs> at the moment. So it, it's it's basically a wrapper uh, around these machine learning uh, technologies, and you can you can choose what kind of backend do you want to use so tensorflow or cntk or whatever you 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 like absolutely and and then you are working in the in c sharp it is compatible with c sharp or f sharp for those who program on f sharp it is built for dotnet developers mainly don't have to to learn python or anything else if you are a dotnet developer then you can create machine learning with your C-sharp knowledge. Absolutely. It is recommended to be used on .NET 4.7.2 and onwards. So mm-hmm. if, you are be, if you've been using an old .NET version, then you will have to upgrade to a newer, newer version. It is cross-platform. It is able to run on Windows, Linux, and Mac OS. However, huh? the 32-bit of Windows is not supporting TensorFlow. So if you are using Windows 64-bit, then you can benefit from TensorFlow as well. It is proven. It has been used for Windows Hello, being at PowerPoint design ideas. So it is being okay, so it, it already has some, some use cases and, and really powerful use cases. And does it have a, a big community? So, and doc- documentation and things like that. Because if, if you are, even if you are a C sharp developer, you <laughs> you will have to to learn. I think that it, it will have some specific, so ML specific subset of of C sharp. So you have to understand and to learn how to use this this ML.net. Does it does it have a good uh, documentation and community to ask questions and things like that? Because it, it's really important in yeah. in this field. Absolutely, I agree. Actually, my choice of language also depends on how big the community is, so <laughs> that I can find answers to my bugs. So, exactly. <laughs> When researching about ML.net and also trying it, I found a lot of good uh, websites. For example, you have GitHub itself, which is providing a lot of information for .NET. Do you have some some free free projects, open source projects in on GitHub, in which 
you can um, you can see some examples of machine learning and uh, machine learning in C sharp and ML.net. Yeah, actually I have a list of which, I, which I'm going to tell you now. So we have for specific uh, machine learning tools, we have projects. For example, for binary classification, we have a project uh, which is allowing for sentiment analysis as well as spam detection. Okay, yeah, I understand spam spam detection because it's it's or spam or not spam. <laughs> yes, it's it's a it's a binary classification. But the sentiment analysis. Why is, is this binary classification? Is is just just sad or or happy or I don't understand. Yeah, this one is a bit simple. It's this is just <laughs> sad or happy, but you can okay. modify <laughs> it and make it more complex. It is just classifying <laughs> the elements into two groups is as handsome or happy but we also have other samples we have the multi-class classification which is allowing this is a good one it is allowing microsoft to classify issues on github so whichever issues they get through their sample projects they can classify in three or more classes for example they can classify by importance Okay, so this, yeah, this is a really, really helpful example because actually, when when you are when you are using machine learning in 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 production, mainly you you will have problems with multi-class classification, not with binary classification. Binary classification is is simple, but in 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 the real world, you will have multi-class uh, classification and. And yeah, this this example is really useful. I, I'm really curious. I will I will I will take a look over this example. Absolutely, these are great for creating your own app. Even you can take those and and modify it to make it even better. And then we mm-hmm. have also regression. This is something I use a lot. It is for predicting a numerical values, and I mm-hmm. will be using this one for price prediction for an application which I'm working on. It is having some uh, algorithms which allows you to predict the future price of the of a product to do sales forecasts and even demand forecasts. Nice. It's a it's a great idea. I wish you success in your in your project. <laughs> Thanks. Now we next we have recommendations. This is something which we've been talking. There's a C shop sample for a movie recommender. And mm-hmm. there's also a, I think a couple of YouTube videos which are describing this sample. It is quite simple but very extensible. Yeah, it's simple because it's just an example, but you can extend it and you can have really good models even if the example is simple. It de- depends on, on you and in your training process. <laughs> Next we have clustering. This is something important as well. It is grouping a set of objects in the same cluster, in the same group. And huh? this is being used for customer segmentation. There's a sample for that itself. So it can be used in CRM applications. For example, if you already have a CRM application and you want to add some machine learning features to it, then you can take some inspiration and take some ideas from that sample. Yeah, for, for big companies, <laughs> this is this, is really, this would be really helpful. Now, we, we were talking about healthcare also. We have anomaly detection as a sample here. It is used to identify suspicion raising data. And there's a sample for uh, fraud detection as well as 
medical problems section here. Yes, this this is interesting. It's really interesting for me because I'm I'm at the uh, university. I'm working a research project, and we are researching this, and we are researching this field, the anomaly detection, and mainly the medical problems like EKG and things like that, and to predict some health problems before the doctors <laughs> will, will see these problems so yeah this is this is really really helpful and um, it has lots of use cases lots of use cases and this 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 can be used also in in factories and um, also in as you said banks and medical fields and uh, i think that this part of the ai will be really helpful for 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 the humanity not not only for the business for recommending some product and and buying and making lots of profit but even for for um, daily usage and this is why i i am working on this anomaly detection this, this is a this is a continuous learning process because in in the in in this field in machine learning and ai in programming you Every day you have to learn to to be up to date and to to create something new, something useful. <laughs> we yeah. have deep reinforcement learning, which even works in plant maintenance and robotics. So you can see that AI is really going industrial as well. It is going with mm-hmm. IoT. It is going with healthcare. Yes, yeah. it is. It is it is really covering all the fields in some way, and and I am really happy for for this because uh, I think that if if we we will block on that part on recommendation systems and, and things like that, then this is not a that important in machine learning. But as you said, in robotics and if if we are using machine learning in industries, then it it will have lots of use cases and breakthroughs and. It will change the the world, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, in robotics, it is being used for automatically calibrating machines and optimizing <laughs> the supply chain network. And I was part in a project where we were optimizing electricity usage using artificial mm-hmm. intelligence. Optimizing electricity usage. Yeah, we were using Sonoff IoT devices. I don't know if you heard the name soon enough. Yes. So, so the main idea is that you you had some connected devices, and based on statistics and use and uh, usage for a user style and user lifestyle, you reduced the power consumption in, for example, when when the user when the user is it's not not at home, you don't have to use the some electric devices so this is this is the use case absolutely we had sensors and all but, but this can also be scaled to a server a server room when the server room is already cold you don't run the fans or the ac for that matter and this can yeah, save yeah. a lot of, of electricity and money as well are you still working on, on this project or or you finish this this one uh, it is an ongoing project Nice, nice. You have some experience with, with machine learning and, and things like that. You have some real projects. Yeah, this is how you, you can learn this this field. Trying and creating something, then then you, you can you can learn. But so even if you are reading blogs and articles and books, because this is how I started to, to learn uh, machine learning. I started 
with research, reading, reading lots of um, articles, um, books, and things like that. But without practice, it's, it's you you don't understand exactly what's happening. You you can understand the high level, the uh, the theoretical part, but it's important to to work on pr- on real projects to to get knowledge on on that. Yeah, applied learning is the best learning. And, yes, and you can see that it's even in. In the theory part, it says the same. If you go to the corner of learning, you would find that uh, you can retain the most information when you are applying the theory. Yeah, exactly. It it will become um, reflex or something like that, and you you won't forget. If you if you will create a project and you will have some problems with that project, and you will fix those problems, then afterwards you. I won't forget that what was the solution for that specific problem. <laughs> I think this is the best way to to learn uh, everything, not just machine learning. Uh, it's been really great talking to you, Sirako, and uh, I got to learn a lot from you about machine learning and artificial intelligence. As you yes, were. it was it was really really it was a nice conversation. I I also heard about a lot of the cool stuff like ML.net. It's it's really useful because I'm, I'm a, basically I'm a .NET developer and, and it, it's a really good idea to have a, a wrapper around these, these machine learning concepts using an ML.NET and C Sharp. So definitely I will try this, uh, this one and will, I, I want to learn this one. Thank you very much for, Thank you. Same for this you conversation. And, and you can find some YouTube videos for ML.NET. There are lots of tutorials online if you like to be a visual learner if you like to have your video running at the same time as your typing code or if you want to go the other way you can also use github documentation and there's a great deal of documentation and samples there Uh you can you can go that way as well so so there's there's a lot of support from the community at this point Uh even though it is still new the current version of ml.net is 0.8 it is not even one at this point but there's a lot of support and it's evolving really fast uh-huh. Nice, nice. Yes, I'm. I'm a big fan of Microsoft. Uh, Microsoft the .NET. So <laughs> definitely, I will try this this one. In the future, if if you have um, questions or thing, mainly related to AI, and if I can help you, then we, yeah, we yeah. can have another conversation, or you can call me anytime and just talk about this kind of stuff. Because as I'm, I'm really happy to talk with people because every time I can I can learn new stuff it's useful it's it's a constructive way to to learn and socialize same <laughs> uh, yeah you are welcome to be on the podcast again so just let me know and I will be also contacting you maybe if, if I have any AI question which I'm sure I will and see you and have a nice weekend have a nice weekend and and talk to you to later Bye. Bye-bye.